Biz News Power Hour. Wednesday, the 8th of December, your hour of power coming to you from the Biz News HQ in Bryanston, Johannesburg. Yeah, it's the first time I've been able to say that. Uh, my colleagues Nadia Swat and Justin Rowe Roberts are with us as well in the virtual studio, them both, of course, in the mother city. just shows you uh, what the power of technology can enable you to do nowadays all in one room, even though you might be sitting on opposite sides of the country. We're talking about opposite sides. The big story that has been going around in the past week in the business community has been to do with mandatory vaccines. And the government has decided to throw the ball back to the business court, not to apply mandatory vaccines in South Africa. That is very good news indeed, because however you might sit in this debate, the story is was always going to be extremely fractious. And those who are on the wrong side of it would have argued very vehemently against it. That's calmed down now. Mandatory vaccines are... Uh, certainly not even going to be tested in the constitutional court, it seems, because government is not going to apply them. Later in the program, we'll be hearing from two of the protagonists against mandatory vaccines and just explaining why they were so strongly camped against it. Of course, this is from the business community, this being the Biz News uh, Power Hour. We'll be hearing from uh, Pit LaRue and Russell Lamberti, and they are from Sarkalicha, uh, who can give us the arguments uh, pretty well articulated against what big business has been saying. So the big business has been saying, on the one hand, uh, you must apply the jabs universally, uh, and uh, the smaller uh, or those organizations which represent smaller businesses have felt very differently. And then one of the most outspoken in this regard, Harrod uh, Papenfuss from NIASA, uh, again a large business grouping, uh, a number of a few thousand members in that business grouping gives his perspectives as well. So a very interesting conversation that we're going to be having in a little while. Uh, amongst those who are um, have, have a big interest in this is our Nadia Swat. Nadia, uh, fully recovered now, as is Justin, as am I from uh, COVID-19. So it's, it's it seems almost as though we've all got natural is it natural immunity? Is that what you call it? Natural immunity. Yes, <laughs> we've got it finally. <laughs> well, for me. Justin Rowe Roberts, as far as the markets are concerned, the whole Omicron story has been really interesting. Ten days ago when it emerged, stock prices took an awful hiding, but they've recovered all of that ground and then some. Exactly, Alec. We're all looking at the data. The data suggests that it's more mild and it's more transmissible, which will be good in the long term in terms of getting over COVID. So markets, as we know, are forward-looking. They look 12 to 18 months ahead, and this seems a net positive. Although at first there was a bit of shock, and when there's uncertainty around markets plummeted, we've looked at the data, and the data looks good, which is a net positive going forward. And that data is most of it is coming out of South Africa, which is the epicenter of Omicron, which is now taking over from the Delta variant all over the world. It appears to be more infectious, but a heck of a lot less deadly. And uh, certainly the information that we published this morning to our premium uh, subscribers from the Financial Times of London, who focus on what's happening in South Africa, which is interestingly uh, interesting enough, is saying that of all the people who were hospitalized uh, for COVID-19 in Twani, which is the epicenter of the epicenter, um, all of them were unvaccinated to begin with. And then secondly, a fraction of them have ended up in on respirators and in, in a bad case. So it appears as though the, the, the data is now supporting the thesis that Omicron is uh, really another step towards living with COVID-19 as another virus that uh, that isn't going to kill everybody. It's pretty good news as far as the economy is concerned and business is concerned. I suppose a bit early to call, but certainly Mr. Market is suggesting, uh, Justin, that we are moving in the right direction. Exactly, Alec. And if I have to look at it anecdotally, two groups of friends, one group in Joburg and one group in Cape Town, number of them being infected, all very mild. They didn't even know that they had the virus. The reason that they got tested is because it was sort of that domino effect when you're in contact with one person the group just gets a test 
Um, but that's good news. Whereas the other variants in the past, and I've had it, um, it, it can hit you hard. Uh, everyone to their own, but um, it did hit a lot of people hard. And that's um, why there's been a hell of a lot of deaths in COVID. And that's why we take it seriously. So apart from talking about COVID and the impact of the changed circumstances uh, on both mandatory vaccines and COVID itself, that'll be in the program coming up. Another story that we've uh, focused on tonight is Avenge, uh, the punter's favorite stock. It was at two cents and then three cents and then four cents and then five and six. Uh, it today was consolidated 500 for one. So if you had 500,000 shares, which sounds like a heck of a lot of stock, uh, you've now only got a thousand left. But uh, the share price, um, well, it, there was a lot of action and a lot of movement, a lot of confusion. And we asked Richard Hirsch to give us some insights on that. So that's also coming up in tonight's program. But uh, without any further ado, let's find out what's been going on in the news headlines. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets means change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Nadia Swat has the news headlines. The ANC's bid to change the constitution to make room for the expropriation of land without compensation has failed. The proposed law could not garner the required two-thirds majority in the 400-seat parliament, with 204 MPs voting in favour and 145 against. The ANC said the changes are needed to manage the land issue, which the party had failed to address in the last three decades of power. Opposition parties like the DA have dismissed the proposed changes as damaging property laws and clouded with uncertainty. The EFF, which supports land expropriation, says the proposed changes do not go far enough. And the debate around mandatory vaccinations is polarizing citizens and businesses alike, with a growing number of people, groups and organizations voicing their support or opposition to the policies. The National Economic Development and Labor Council has come out in support of the mandates, joining business groups like BUSA and unions like Kasatu, but industries like the National Liquor Traders Association have voiced opposition to mandates without consultation. At the same time, the SA Federation of Trade Unions says the mandates will just be used as an excuse to cut jobs. President Sol Ramaphosa will be meeting with the NCCC this week to discuss the topic. Investors and energy experts are worried about ESCOM's use of its aging fleets, saying they're being run into the ground. The international benchmark for using coal fleets is around 70%. However, in South Africa, ESCOM is using its units at a rate of 90%, leading to about three boiler tube failures per unit per year. At the same time, ESCOM's maintenance expenditure remains low, meaning the power utility is not getting around to doing the necessary maintenance to take the load off its units, stressing the system even more. Investors say ESCOM is about two years too late to plan and prepare for suitable maintenance programs. Lungile Mashele, energy expert at the Development Bank of Southern Africa, has warned that ESCOM has for some time not met the technical criteria to justify any additional funding. Justin, back to you for the market report. Thanks, Nods. The JSEL share index was slightly lower at 72,400. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 15 rand 77 cents to the dollar, 21 rand. 20 rand 81 cents to the pound and 17 rand 81 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,785 an ounce. A Kruger rand will cost you around 30,000 rand. Brent crude is up trading at $76.30 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back around 780,000 rand. This daily market report was made just for you by BrightRock the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Today is Wednesday, December 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Another shoe could drop in China's ongoing crackdown on technology companies, and U.S. President Joe Biden warned Russian leader Vladimir Putin not to invade Ukraine. Here's the take from our Moscow bureau chief. This isn't Putin trying to signal that he is preparing to invade Ukraine. This is more about demonstrating to Ukraine, but even more importantly, the U.S., that Russia has the capacity to crush Ukraine if it wants to. We'll also talk about the latest moves from activist hedge fund Elliott Management. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need. 
Beijing is planning to restrict technology upstarts from using a crucial financial channel that other Chinese technology groups have been using to attract international capital. The FT reports that Chinese authorities are preparing this blacklist, and it would limit the role of foreign shareholders in Chinese tech companies. A new ban would likely apply to startups, not tech companies that currently use the investment tool to run their businesses. They're called variable interest entities, or VIEs. Chinese tech groups like Alibaba and Tencent use VIEs to get around foreign investment restrictions and raise billions of dollars from international investors. Sources said the blacklist could include sectors that use a lot of data or involve national security concerns. And if this sounds familiar, it's because Washington has taken similar measures to restrict Chinese investment in Silicon Valley startups. U.S. President Joe Biden held a two-hour video call with Russian President Vladimir Putin yesterday. This comes amid U.S. concerns that Russia is planning to invade Ukraine. Biden used the call to warn Putin that there would be strong economic measures if he sent troops into Ukraine. Biden's pressuring Germany to block Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. It was built to feed Russian gas into Germany and is still awaiting the green light. The FT's Moscow bureau chief, Max Seddon, has been monitoring the talks from Russia. He says the Kremlin's take on them is that Putin made it clear he wants security guarantees about Russia's red lines. Something that a lot of the people in Moscow have told me is this isn't Putin trying to signal that he is preparing to invade Ukraine. This is more about demonstrating to Ukraine, but even more importantly, the U.S., that Russia has the capacity to crush Ukraine if it wants to. And that means that Russia is important and you have to listen to it and talk to it about what it wants uh, on its terms. And for uh, Putin, he's been unusually explicit about this in recent weeks. He says that the West has to respect Russia's red lines. The red lines are no NATO expansion and uh, no deploying weapons systems in countries that border with Russia. And it looks like that the White House is ready to at least talk on this. The Kremlin said in the readout of the call that Biden and Putin had agreed to have future consultations on sensitive issues that that appear to be referring to this uh, new security architecture for for Europe, which is something that that Putin has wanted for at least 15 years. That could really be what ultimately comes out of this, not an invasion or, or lack thereof, but some sort of broader security talks about some kind of new architecture is what Putin has been pretty public about seeking. Max Seddon is the FT's Moscow bureau chief. The Scottish energy group SSE is battling Elliott Management. Yesterday, the activist hedge fund slammed SSE's plan for a cleaner energy transition and called for sweeping changes. Now, SSE is only the latest company to contend with the aggressive activist hedge fund. Elliott is famous for going after corporate boards to maximize shareholder value. Elliott pushed for Twitter's chief executive to leave. It's been involved in the fight over Toshiba's future, and it successfully pushed SoftBank into agreeing to another big share buyback. These are just a few of its victories. To find out more about Elliott, we have our hedge fund correspondent, Lawrence Fletcher, on the line. Hey, Lawrence. Hi, Mark. So, Lawrence, who runs Elliott Management? Who's behind the fund? So, Elliott is headed by and founded by Paul Singer, actually. It was founded in 1977. And this is what he's been doing for pretty much all his career. Uh, he's a billionaire. He's built a huge and very successful fund here, $50 billion uh, in assets and across a, uh, a huge range of strategies as well. Now, how have they become so effective at getting corporate boards to to do what they want? I think it's a few things. I think, firstly, their size. And so if a a fund like that buys into you, then you have to sit up uh, and listen. They've also got a reputation for tenacity and some really big scalps as well. And I think that the investment to really point to was their 15-year battle with the government of Argentina, which was sort of an epic tale that ended in them winning and forcing the government to pay out on the defaulted debts. And it's, it's gone down as one of the greatest trades in hedge fund history. So when you're up against that as a corporate uh, CEO, you've, you've got to uh, listen. So Lawrence, when Elliott focuses on increasing shareholder value, does that go hand-in-hand with strengthening the company? 
Yes, I think so. And actually, in a recent letter to investors, they talk about sort of how it's become a bit more difficult for activists. So they talk, actually talk about a sort of diminishing number of activists out there where you've got companies that are increasingly focused on uh, stakeholders, a range of stakeholders, and be that sort of employees, be that wider society, be that sort of environmental lobby groups, or whatever. And Elliot really does see its its role as saying, okay, you know, what we've got to do here is make sure this management is held to account, actually, and is delivering what it should be delivering for the owners of the business. You know, Lawrence, it's interesting to hear you say that there are fewer activists out there. You know, I feel like every time I turn around, there's some sort of activist pressuring a board of an oil company or, or something else along those lines. I certainly think Elliot is one of the funds that is leading the way and is helping, uh, you know, show how to, for smaller activists, how they can take on companies. You've had much smaller firms, uh, such as Bluebell Capital, for instance, that's had a lot of success. That's a, a, a fund that's worked with Elliot in the past as well. But I think more generally, we're living in a sort of a really fruitful time for activist funds at the moment. You've got markets um, overall that are, have been buoyant and have been in activists' favour. And you've also had some huge dislocations given the flows into ESG, given the uh, coronavirus pandemic. Um, so you've had a real, um, some really good opportunities for activists to sort of get stuck into companies and they hope they can create value. Lawrence Fletcher is the FT's hedge fund correspondent. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, Mark. And before we go, China's population is aging and shrinking, and the government really wants women to get married and have more babies. The problem is that weddings are really expensive. One study found that the average value of engagement gifts for rural couples, that includes a dowry like cash or housing, has surged to nearly $50,000. It's more than six times the annual household income. Now, earlier this year, officials launched a campaign to make marriage more affordable. They came up with suggested gift prices and tried to persuade people that happiness has nothing to do with engagement gifts. But not many people are buying that. Data show that marriage licenses have actually fallen to a 13-year low. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Wednesday, and that means Magnus Haystick is our guest to take us through some of the big issues of the past week. And you could almost say, Magnus, the past day, given what happened yesterday uh, in Parliament. We had the expropriation of land without compensation lobby getting a little bit of a blood nose when 26 of the ANC parliamentary members voted against the motion. They were never going to carry it without the uh, EFF support. But that really meant it was a very poor result for those trying to get this uh, change of the constitution. And then the second thing was the government backing off from the idea of imposing mandatory vaccines in South Africa. Now, I know these aren't directly related to what happens to our money maybe immediately, but in the long term, these are very significant decisions that have, that have uh, perhaps shaped our future as a country. Yes, hi, Alec. You know, as you say, not immediately, but, you know, the expropriation issue has been bubbling under for a very long time, ever since, you know, in 2017, the ANC put that on the agenda. And at the time, I remember writing articles and quoting people from all around the world. I think I quoted Goldman Sachs. I quote, quoted some of the big investment houses, even Johan Rupert, saying this is a stupid idea. And that undermines confidence uh, from from abroad and also internally. And, it, and they're absolutely right. Even just the suggestion of expropriating land, whether in a limited format or in a much larger format, just that suggestion leads to uncertainty. It leads to a lack of confidence. And it also leads to investment decisions which may not be appropriate at the time, emotional decisions. And farmers also said at the time they're not going to make long-term plans if they know that their land could be in the sights of the government. And I think that has had an effect on, on South Africa as an investment destination. 
it might not be discussed every day on the headlines and the front pages, but I got some emails this morning from other parts of the world saying, and, and they sent me some links to what the EFF is saying, saying, yes, we might have lost the battle, but the war is not lost and we, we will be back and coming for land. Just those kind of statements has a negative impact on investor confidence. And uh, regrettably, it has an impact on prices that people pay for land and what they do with their land. If you were going to develop a piece of land or exploit it or farm it or whatever, you are thinking twice. And there might not be an immediate correlation between those threats and the laws going to parliament and being debated and people making personal decisions and saying, I'd rather have some money somewhere else in the world or in a different asset class, which is more liquid and I can move. So it does have an impact, uh, like, uh, as you quite rightly point out. Now, it's an interesting point you make there. Because I was having a conversation with someone else this morning who said the same thing, that uh, the EFF didn't vote for it because, in their opinion, it didn't go far enough. Uh, and yet the ANC was almost going halfway. So uh, clearly, however, if even if the EFF had voted for uh, this, they wouldn't have got through the two-thirds majority, which, which you've got to take the little bits that you can and the little victories that you can. But what about mandatory vaccines? It did appear that big business was very strongly behind the, uh, the directive or wanted the government to get everybody in South Africa to be forced to have a vaccine. That would have been well, surely it would have it it would have been uh, very disruptive to society, given the, the incredibly strong views that some people have about being when they are suggestions of uh, forced to be vaccinated, and that now being taken off the table and being thrown back at the business community, almost saying if you want to have people vaccinated, the government says, well, do it yourselves. You know that is a, a hot potato and a very controversial one, and of course. You've been at the forefront of trying to get balanced viewpoints out there and given people an opportunity to debate it in a rational way, for which you must be congratulated, Alec. My views on, and I actually discussed it with someone yesterday, a very prominent constitutional lawyer that I had lunch with, and you um, might know who I'm talking about, a young, dynamic lawyer. I'm not going to name her. But we had this discussion just yesterday, and, and it was interesting and it's just an observation. I'm not saying it's the case, but it's an observation that the companies pushing the hardest and the strongest for vaccination is, of course, the insurance companies, short-term, long-term, and the medical aid companies. And they have a vested interest to try and curtail the spread of the virus because if it escalates, it does affect their bottom line. They have to make provisions for higher death claims higher illness claims, et cetera, et cetera. So one must just put that into context, that the discoveries and the old mutuals of the world will make a very strong case saying you have to be vaccinated because that's their business and their business is threatened. So there's been a bit of a pushback from other sectors of the community of saying, hang on, guys, you know, you cannot override constitutional rights just because there's a virus that's come around and, and we must think a little bit harder about this. So this is going to be, uh, this has the potential to become very acrimonious and very, very hotly debated in society. Do you agree to be forced to have a vaccination? That gives the state and, and, and the uh, certain companies immense powers uh, over the behavior of individuals, which, which, on, 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 on a, a more democratic analysis and a more sane analysis, you would not normally tolerate. Now, that, that could lead to lots of friction in society, in companies. It will, in my view, end up in the constitutional court at, the, at, the, at, at least that companies can fire people because they didn't want to have the vaccine. And, and, and this, is, this is not going to end soon. It's going to play out over a long period of time. So just bear in mind who's pushing for mandatory vaccinations and that might give you the answer that you'll find, that you are getting. On a broader term, uh, or a broader front rather, we've seen that as more has gotten to be known about the new variant Omicron, uh, the markets after initially panicking that this would be yet another shock 
to the system have now not only calmed down, but in fact rebounded quite strongly. Uh, we've seen the uh, S&P 500 index, for instance, in, in the United States, recovering all the ground that has been lost uh, in the initial shock of the new variant, which does seem to be milder, which the experts tell me is what happens when viruses mutate. They like to, uh, they don't want to kill all their hosts, as it were, to try and make it uh, more livable with the hosts. The, the science of it is, is, is outside of my circle of competence. But generally speaking, it does look like Mr. Market is calming down now and uh, looking ahead perhaps to a brighter future. You're quite right. I mean, 10 days ago when the Omicron story broke, you know, the markets did have a bit of a shudder and a panic and there was a sell-off always. And, um, you know, whether it was the cause of Bitcoin dropping by 22% or not, or whether the fact that I bought some Bitcoin and crashed the market, we will never know. But uh, I was going to mention that. <laughs> Timing never been my forte. So uh, let me see what market I'm going to crash tonight again. But anyway, let's get back to serious business. You know, there, I was reading an interesting article. I can't remember if it was in the Daily Telegraph or the Bloomberg. Actually saying that as this virus spread very quickly through society, and infecting people, but not as lethal as the previous variants, the Delta and other variants, that the death rate is not as high. Yes, the infection rate is high, but strangely enough, people were saying that is immunizing more people in the population, and they referred to the Spanish flu, and, and, and um, you know, the, 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 they had the same cycle every next uh, wave was milder and milder and then suddenly the virus just disappeared because there were not many there were not enough hosts to keep the virus alive so someone and I can't remember what was suggested that maybe just maybe these are some of the last uh, and sporadic outbreaks of, 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 of infections and variants but they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker until such time as they suddenly just disappear. Now, this is just uh, an hypothesis at this stage, but it could be one of the reasons why the market snapped back very aggressively, heavy buying. Uh, I mean, a week later, the markets are back where they were and at, at record levels. So it seems to me the market is looking beyond this virus or this outbreak, looking at next year, looking at profits and, and, and where the markets could be. And, and there's been some very, very good buying the last two to three days. No one just buys a car. You may go to a dealership and consider all your options available in one place. Maybe I'll get a family sedan and customize it just the way I want it. I'm looking for safety features like airbags for the family, of course. So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers. Richard Hirsch of Standard Bank Online joins us now. Richard, good talking with you on a day when we have many, many confused people. Uh, the Avin share price was consolidated, what well, surged through the roof, and some people thought that they could change their address by, change, by selling their shares early this morning. However, there was something more behind all of this. It isn't uh, just some gift that Mr. Market has uh, bestowed on some. No, unfortunately, Mr. Market doesn't doesn't really bestow those gifts often. So no, unfortunately, what's actually happened with Aving? We, obviously, we've had a lot of clients trading Aving. I'd say over the last six to twelve months, uh, right? And the, by getting in at three four cents, I think was around the low. And what's happened is um, when it got to bid five cents, offered six cents pre pre the consolidation, is you had hundreds of millions of shares on the bid and offer. And if people want to get in or out, you're having to cross quite a wide spread. So what I think they've done is quite smart in the sense that they've consolidated the stock at a 500 to one level. So if you, if you, if you take a 25 Rand share price this morning where it, where it pretty much opened and you divide that by 500, 
you'll get to the five cents bit. And what it's allowed people to do now is actually get out between 25 Rand and 30 Rand, which is essentially five cents and six cents, right? But what's happened is people's holdings has reduced by 500 times. So if you were holding 500,000 of in shares, you're now holding 1,000. And that is basically what's happened. But it has made it more liquid, and I think it's a good thing, allowing people to get in and out of that spread. Uh, are you seeing big volumes as a consequence? Uh, no, not as yet, because remember, this was a, there were a lot of volumes going through before, but if you divide that by 500 now, no. So someone that held, um, as we said, 500,000 shares before has only got 1,000 shares. So no, the, the, the volume has most certainly reduced. I'm not saying it's not trading. Mm-hmm. It certainly is trading. But it's certainly not at the heights of the volumes that you would see when it was at five, six cents because the consolidation of the stock. At a five to six cents level, it does attract a different type of investor in inverted commas. People play. They like to buy at five and sell at six. They make themselves 20%. Is this likely to happen now with Avenge? It's being consolidated. It's a 25 to 30 rand stock. It's still excellent value if you look at it from fundamentals at those levels. But a different player there perhaps? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, let's put it this way. Nothing's happened to the company. Nothing's changed in the financials. All that's happened is the, the probably the, the, the type of investor that it's going to attract most certainly I think will change. I think you spot on there. Uh, different buying a share at uh, three, four, five cents as opposed to 25 or 30 rand. And maybe I, it, it can work either way for the company, but nothing's actually changed with the company. Just maybe. Maybe, the, the, as you say, the profile of investors is probably going to shift away from the, the penny stock type of investor that, that, that was in it. So let's just go back a little bit. If you were trying to buy the shares at $0.05, cents, you would have struggled because there were lots of people ahead of you in the queue. If you were prepared to pay $0.06, cents, you could have got the shares immediately. 100%. So you could have got the, the shares immediately at six cents, but now you've lost money on that because the price is, uh, is yes, trading more in the old five cents level. Correct. It's, well, it's actually trading at five and a half cents. So at twenty seven rand fifty, it's trading at five and a half cents, bang in the middle. But I think what it's what's allowing new entrants and participants that do participate in the market in that market is to get a a more fair entry or exit into the stock. Um, I'm not. I don't know if that was really behind their, their 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 thinking, or that they really just in just optically does it look a lot more cleaner to have a share that's trading at 25 or 27 rand 50 as opposed to five or six cents. But certainly the tradability will go down um, as time passes. I mean, today is not a good example, but I think as time passes, the the overall volumes will reduce. But perhaps the Aving board wanted to see their stock more trading in the 20 rands than in the five or six cents, I would think. But, but nothing has changed in, in terms of the actual running of the company. But I suppose on the other hand, if you're an institutional investor, uh, you don't like to have a spread of 20% between where you buy, can buy or can sell a share. Would you not then be much happier at a, a share that, that hasn't got a 20% yep. spread as it had in the past? So are you anticipating that institutional investors will now start participating more uh, in the Avenge stock? That would depend on, on how, I suppose, as an investment thesis, if they, if they buy into it. I mean, I think it also does an institution want to be holding a 5 6 cent stock in its books I don't know, you know, that would be up to the insta, but I think it's far more desirable when they look at a stock that's trading at 25 or 30 rand. From the retail investor's perspective, this was one of their favorites. Uh, are you sad that it's now consolidated 500 for one and, and you won't be seeing the, the, the punting by people who probably don't even know that Avenge is a construction business? Yeah, I think we will. We'll be sad to see the punting go down. Um, I think people did pretty well out of the stock uh, from from when from when it was trading at the three four cents level. Most certainly, I think it even went down to two cents. Um, but yeah, that's not up to us. I mean, we are a retail business on our side, and uh, we certainly will will see reduced volumes. But I suppose it's what's best what's best for the company, and of course, what's best for investors. I'm not sure the punters will, are going to be so happy. I agree with you. And and of your retail base, is it one of the most popular or has it been one of the most popular shares, Avenge? 
Yes. Once again, in terms of volumes, I mean, not in terms of notional value traded, of course, but in terms of volumes, most certainly, most certainly. But the problem is, and it's actually been bothering us, is when you're crossing that amount of spread, you know, between the five and the six cents, and if it's bid four, offered five, the, the, the percentage spread is even greater. That's a, a hell of a lot of spreads to pay away. So I think this gives the, the, the market a, a much fairer deal in getting into and out of the shit. How does business empower our nation? By bringing produce to our tables, giving us technology that connects us, hospitals that care for us, and the tools that shape our cities. And by backing the next generation of business owners. That's why... South Africa banks on business. Business banks on us. Standard Bank. It can be. Standard Bank is an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Saka Lichas Duo are back with us uh, today on the uh, Biz News radio platform. And it's really good to be talking with uh, Pit LaRue, the chief executive, and Russell Lamberti is joining us in our virtual studio. Pit, we spoke last week. It was, there was lots of confusion at the time about, and lots of discussion at the time about mandatory vaccines, divisions within business, um, business for South Africa, a big business, in other words, saying they wanted everybody in the country to be forced to have a jab. You didn't like that. Now, we, our position is that um, the Government should not co-opt and force the private sector to implement a one-size-solution-fits-all. Uh, we are for the rights of businesses to implement what is appropriate in their circumstances um, according to the normal test of the market of profit and loss. Um, and uh, there's no one-size answer for everyone. And even at the, uh, even currently with companies that are encouraging some of their staff to get vaccinated and some even call it mandatory vaccines, but even there, there we have exceptions. And currently all those exceptions and the implementations are determined according to the discretion of the company. Um, and so what we will do is once we have a government in introduced mandate forcing the private sector to enforce its exclusionary policies on not only employees, but uh, private people visiting them in public spheres, et cetera, we will have a division in society between business and the public and we will have we will have the government draw lines according to their discretion between families between co- colleagues between businesses and that's not the right way to solve a complex problem but this south african government hasn't gone that route it no. appears as though they're handing the ball back to the private sector and they're not going to mandate vaccines and i think that's a, a good cautious approach from the government to step back from it and it tells us that you know after a week of punting this idea um it's realized and the feedback it got was that, look, we're risking too much in doing this. We're risking putting groups in society against each other in a country that has seen massive unrest, costing billions just recently, um, that has a history of, of, of distrust. And it's just sort of re- trying to rebuild that trust. And now we're introducing this. Um, so I think it's, it's cautious and wise of government to say, no, let's, let's take a step back. And also, um, you know, as things progress, we're still not even sure that uh, all of this, which came from the, de- the detection of the Omicron variant, um, uh, is justified by the variant itself. So um, we, we, we just, uh, you know, uh, President Ramaphosa told us that the world acted irrationally by introducing travel bans. Completely agree with him. But let's not act rashly and irrationally in South Africa on the back of the same weak um, information. Yesterday was actually quite an incredible day. Russell Lamberti, not only on the one side did government step back from what it's being pressed to do to introduce mandatory vaccines, but on the other side, we had a defeat in parliament for a change to the constitution, which would have allowed, call it what it is, legalized theft of property in South Africa, Russell. A pretty big day, Alec, and we're obviously chuffed at, at, at the result in the short term. I don't think it – I'm talking about the land issue now, and I, I don't think it, uh, it's the end of the story. The 50% majority threshold was achieved, but of course it needed a two-thirds majority threshold. That wasn't achieved, Alec, because the EFF chiefly and a few other uh, parliamentary allies voted against the amendment, uh, not because they think it's a – uh, because it uh, uh, engages in too much theft, uh, but because it engages in too little, <laughs> too little uh, a scope for property confiscation. So what that means, of course, is that um, you've got a sizable faction within Parliament that is going to try and reintroduce 
this amendment or, or perhaps target now the expropriation bill itself, which the amendment was was shaping up to enable. Um, and they're going to try and, and sort of radicalize um, that process and actually take this even further. So it's, uh, you know, the battle perhaps has been won in the short term. Uh, the war is, is far from over and, and we're remaining very vigilant on, uh, on what parliaments are doing and how they're thinking because um, there are, you know, many not just within the EFF but also within the ANC, I think, who want to actually press this even harder. And I think what's critical, I'll finish up here, what's, what's, what's critical about this, Alec, is that the longer this stays on the table, it, it looms over the South African economy, it looms over uh, investment decisions, over, over you know, capital allocation decisions. Um, it's just this huge question mark. And as long as that question mark doesn't go away, it's a, it's a real handbrake on things. So we really need this to be dealt with uh, in, in a much, you know, with much more finality. And unfortunately, I think what, what is likely to happen is that this is going to stay on the table and stay in the conversation. And as long as that's the case, I think, uh, you know, investors and, and, and business people are going to, you know, stay nervous and stay vigilant. I get that, but even with the EFF support, if their 44 parliamentarians had voted with uh, the ANC's proposal, they still would have lost. And the reason for that was 26 members of parliament from the ANC voted against their own party's directive. And that wouldn't have happened under Zuma, Pete. That is interesting, and uh, yeah, we will keep an eye on that. Um, certainly, South African politics is shuffling a little bit. There's a ruffling of feathers. Underlying uh, the underlying trends are still negative um, and deeply negative. Um, it's not only uh, expropriation. You can look at what's happening in competition law, especially. Just uh, I think yesterday or today, Ibrahim Patel and his department will come out with a new scorecard for concentration in the market. Um, so lots of problems still there. But yes, this one let's 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 own the win. It's great. But getting back to mandatory vaccines now, why were you guys so? opposed to something that other business organizations are saying must happen? Well, some business organizations, not all. Um, Sarkalicha is also not the only business organization cautioning against this. Um, Alec, we've been opposed to lockdown from the beginning. Um, the irrationality, it expected, it was even worse than we expected it to be. Um, and so we, we've been opposed to lockdown a lot. And we've been speaking about that re- really since the beginning when the idea was still just three weeks um, to flatten the curve and then we'll ride it out because nobody thought there would be a vaccine at that point. And the idea was always that society will have to live with this thing. It's ready the hospitals. But then the thing metastasized and uh, we came to a point where uh, talks of mandatory vaccination, that is, and the co-option of the private sector, forcing the private sector to implement a one-size solution all across the board. What happens there? Does, does, Does someone in government say to someone in the private sector that they're close to hey, just fly this kite, push this through, because we know that in government it wouldn't be good for us to have another defeat in the Constitutional Court, say. What happens behind the scenes? It's not clear, Alec, but it's um, it's quite conceivable that uh, you know at some connection level between some business organisations who have a, a good connection to government that those kinds of talks started. We know that very few countries in the world have done so. There's now talk from among others, but... You know, we'll join the ranks of Turkmenistan and Micronesia, et cetera, in implementing mandatory vaccines across the country if we do it. Yeah, it does seem like there was a talk between some business representatives, some business organizations. It seemed like some of that talk has been happening at NEDLAC. But I think um, it, it puts a question mark behind the legitimacy of the tables where those discussions happen. And if it is then presented as if business has a single view on this, which is, you know, make us your agents, instrumentalize the business sector to become uh, the agents of uh, political and very controversial political positions in the way it dictated by government gazette. I think we need much more nuance to this. And um, if the uh, discussion is presented as President Ramaphosa did, that business is behind nationwide one-size solution mandatory vaccines, then I think um, he's brought on the wrong impression. Um, and at, at some level, there's there's definitely a misrepresentation, and that is unacceptable. So let's say that. Um, I don't think the discussion at NEDLAC, if that discussion says that business is behind this, is an accurate reflection of the requirements and the need and the want from businesses to be able to have some discretion in this and apply their judgment according to their circumstances. It's, it's interesting, Russell, that we are going through a transitional period 
and maybe to get the mindset shift to understand that in the old days, what you said as a government or a business chief executive was law. We as South Africans don't easily take to being told what to do, but the younger people nowadays are perhaps even more. And maybe, maybe that temperature in the country is, is what is behind both of these decisions that we saw yesterday. I think there's been some wisdom exercised at, at some uh, level of, of government there, Alec, because, um, the, you know, th- these are not pure scientific representative polls, but there's certainly been several um, online polls or, or uh, surveys being done. Of course, it's not representative. Of course, these things have issues. Um, but, you know, quite overwhelmingly, what we see in, in, in several of these things, there was a News24 poll, there was an interesting um, uh, survey uh, for comment done by Dear South Africa, who, who elicited about 140,000 comments, roughly 30,000 from self-described business owners. Um, 25,000 of those 30,000 uh, said that they would be against mandatory vaccines uh, for, from the state and that they probably wouldn't implement mandatory vaccines themselves. So uh, that's a big number. I'm not saying that's a scientific result, but I think there's some indicative signal there to us. Um, And we can also pick this up in the social conversation. Um, A lot of young people are distrustful, and rightly so, um, of the government and the way it handles these these very complex problems. We've seen that over the last 18 months. You know, I think there's been these two competing philosophies that you could really link to lockdown, to to mask mandates, to travel bans, and and even to mandatory vaccines, which is, do we solve complex problems at a central Politburo-style level, or do we solve complex problems by by decentralizing solutions, by having a plurality of solutions? 60 million South Africans, Alec, as we've said in lockdown, and, and it applies to this issue as well, are not the same. They have, they have very different contexts. They live in different places. They're different socioeconomically, different age groups, uh, different employment status, different health status, and so on and so forth. The, the, the list is endless of how different individual people are. Um, and what is required to, you know, to understand the, the complexity of that is to devolve decision-making as much as possible to lower levels. That's not always possible. Some Sometimes scale uh, is, is required for certain decisions. And I think this is, this is where this big debate comes down to is can we solve this complexity? Can we make a one-size-fits-all solution for, for 60 million? Um, and I think the last 20 months, both domestically and abroad, have been an, an emphatic repudiation of, of this idea that you can centralize complex risk management. So I think as... as uh, as the government is surveying the social temperature, as it were, I, I, I suspect that you know some some cool and calm heads are prevailing. But and I think I just want to emphasise what Pete said. Um, it's really critical that we don't allow the government to to um, uh, uh, pass over the the sort of moral and uh, and 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 legitimacy questions of this issue and sort of outsource them to business and instrumentalize business as it were let business become essentially the the enforcement arm and government sort of stands by behind the scenes uh, we we don't we 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 want to be very wary and guard against that and so i think the key here is allowing businesses to make decisions but there's going to be a plurality of decisions Different businesses are going to do different things. And of course, whichever decisions they make, they're going to have to incur the costs of those decisions. They shouldn't be able to internalize the benefits as well. You know, for a company to make decisions like this, Alec, as you well know, and as your listeners know, there's a myriad of, of considerations. There's not just employees and staff. It's, it's how do you interact with customers, suppliers, shareholders, stakeholders, investors, uh, how do you manage your brand perception out there? These are all very important considerations for for small and large businesses. Um, and so, you know, this this decision is is complex on so many dimensions that we are saying devolve this decision making, get it decentralized, and really let's see a a diversity of approaches here that suit 
various different contexts. That to me looks like, starts to look like a healthy way out of this. No one just makes a meal for a special occasion. You may go online or to that really fancy daily on the corner and look at all the different options available in one place. Maybe I'll make a risotto and I'll make it really special with some truffles, extra parmesan and chili oil on the side. So why should investing be any different? Glacier by Sunlam's investment platform offers you the widest choice of local and global funds from different fund managers that you can mix and match all in one place. And it lets you customize your investment exactly the way you want it. So you can enjoy your life exactly the way you want to. Ask your financial advisor why you're not with Glacier. Glacier Financial Solutions and Sunlam Life Insurance are licensed financial services providers. Farad Papenfuss is with me in studio. Well, tell us about Nyasa, first of all, yeah. and, and uh, maybe yeah. that yeah. sets the scene a little. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nyasa has got a very broad uh, constituency, many, many employees, a couple of thousand of employers. And uh, we've always been in a fight. Uh, we're, uh, you know, in the South African labor environment is uh, it's a difficult environment. It's difficult for business. Uh, the environment isn't pro-business. It's a battle. I think SMEs worldwide are battling um, on two fronts. They're battling legislation, uh, red tape. They also is in a battle with uh, monopoly uh Capitalism, you know, I'm a pro-business person. And You're not be- giving me a Gupta story. No, I'm not giving yeah. no I, and I think it's a natural thing from people. When you get very strong, you uh, sort of tend to surprise uh, uh, competition is uh, irritation. And um, that's very natural. Uh, so it's not, this is not a conspiracy. Uh, it's natural. Uh, the less your uh, competition is, the better for you. And uh, a big company that goes into a shopping center says listen i'll i'll be i'll bring the feed but you give me floor space for a lesser tariff and the small guy picks up the tab that's that's natural i i said that's how the world's been operating all along but so we've been in a fight on many many fronts you know expropriation is a big deal that it, it affects our amendment we, we play into that area all these battles aren't won by one run player it's many role players adding their voice and you need to be seen by your members that uh, you are engaged and you fight for them. That's what we do. Mandatory vaccinations is, is, is probably uh, this, this whole issue is one of the toughest battles I've been in because whereas in, in the other battles, our members have got a, it's a united uh, front. They, they, they understand they might, if we negotiate in, 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 in negotiations, there might be differences between them on what we do. But it's not fundamental differences. Uh, in this issue, uh, there are differences. And but you know, if you if you're a if you're a, a member organisation, you need to make a call. Uh, you can't stay out of the fight. You can't. You, you can't say, "Listen, on this thing, I don't say anything," because some demand that you say. And 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 what happens is that um, that you come out and you express a particular view. And there might be criticism, and uh, and only, one only hopes that your organisation is so strong. If a guy says to me, "I said, listen, I'm finishing, I'm finishing Klar with you now, I'm I'm leaving," then he then he, he loses a lot of benefits yeah. through but, but, us. Yeah, you said that there's there's division within the ASA itself, within your your members. Well, what I, is, I what would you say? A, that I, I think there's a difference on, of opinion. On, 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 on the issue. <clears throat> I, I'm trying to get a temperature of the country because yeah. on the one hand, big business is saying we are pushing government to mandate vaccines. Yeah. Government is saying we're not prepared to do that. They've said that. They've said yeah. as much already. Yeah. Uh, they're kicking it back to business. If yeah, you, you want uh, a mandatory vaccines, you make it happen. Yeah. In, within in NIASA, within your members, yeah. can you give some kind of a feeling of those who are in favor of mandatory vaccines or who'd be happy if government were to mandate these jabs and those who wouldn't be? Well, um, if I look at the support I get from on, on, on comments on what I do, I'd, I'd say by far the majority support that because we haven't come support out... Support what? Uh, support uh, the, our opposition towards mandatory vaccines. So, and your position is... 
No, no monitoring. You don't want and, it. And, mm. and, 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 and we're very clear. We're not playing into the area of whether a vaccine is good or bad. I'm not a doctor. When you engage in that debate, I mean, that will become the focus. And that's an endless debate. Our debate is freedom of choice. That's it. And, uh, um, and I think we have the overwhelming support of businesses. We've had two resignations out of Renidaza, out of, I, you know, there's no need to tell how many thousand members we have, but we have two resignations. So you have thousands of members and two have resigned because they don't like the fact that you don't want everybody Mandatory in the country vac- to be vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. But the chances are, even with Omicron, that if you are vaccinated, yes, you, you can get it, and we know that, but if you're unvaccinated, you are more likely to get it badly. Okay. That's kind of the argument. All right. Throughout this process, since the beginning of the lockdown, since the news of this new virus, government has really uh, lacked in explaining to the population that when you seek, when you get this thing, get early treatment. Because there is early treatment. Very fa- I've had COVID. I had received early, uh, uh, I received early treatment. The day I was tested positive, I called my GP and I said, I've got it, must I come and see you? He said, no, I'll send you an email. Just do what it says. Just do what it says and I'll send you a prescription. And he said, do this thing. Um, yes, antibiotics. Drink a disparin and something else. Because this is what this thing do. And then... This is the, uh, the route this thing is taking. In seven days' time, this, this whole thing will change. You will either get, uh, get better or get worse. When that happens, you get do a blood test. I want to see what your blood is doing and give me a chest, uh, uh, x-ray of your lungs. I did that. And, and I must tell you, at that stage, I was, I'd, I'd never had a breathing problem. Although the levels in my blood, the oxygen levels in my blood was lower, I never had a, I never felt as if I was suffocating. And he said, okay, now we go on a different path, uh, and he prescribed it. And five days later, I was completely over it. Let me tell you, I was sick. I mean, I was as sick as a dog. <laughs> you were in bed? Oh, yeah. But oh, not hospitalized? No, no, I was in bed. I felt bad, but I never felt being in danger. But I felt terrible. My wife found me at some point. I was lying on a towel floor with the PD, with PD pants. And she said, what are you doing there? I said, well, the cold floor makes me feel better. <laughs> I was really feeling sick. No, make no mistake, you feel sick. But this type of thing, early treatment for the thing was never uh, explained and never widely uh, uh, propagated. Uh, one one of my staff members went to hospital and, and they said, well, you've got it. And she felt bad. She said, but, and they said to her, but you're not sick enough to be hospitalized. Now, why don't you say to a guy when he comes up and say, I've got, I've got God, he said, listen, do the following. But now come back when you're almost dead. And that is frankly too late. That's frankly too late. You, if you don't get early treatment, that's why people died in hospital, which we now know wrong treatment. Um, that was never necessary. And that causes people to say, but what's the agenda about this? Why don't you tell people, listen, look after your own immune system. Now, let's come back to the immune system. And I, I sit here today. I've had COVID. They reckon that my immunity is very good. You sit here, and I believe you're vaccinated. I've had COVID and I've had two vaccinations. Okay. So my immunity is even better than yours, according <laughs> to the discovery. Anyway. Okay. But I've got immunity. Now, if you, come, if you come to, uh, you've come to me and you say vanity vaccination, but I said, oh, I've had this thing. I've had it. I understand. And, 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 uh, and so what we're saying to each other, let us understand uh, let us understand the complexity about this thing, and even mandatory vaccinations will be, may, make the thing uh, uh, com- more complex. We must also understand the the makeup of the human being. Uh, we no- nobody wants to be pushed around.
Well, thanks for being with us this 8th of December. We're coming to you from our brand new studio in Bryanston in Johannesburg. I hope uh, that we meet many of you in the studio in future. And as you heard from the uh, discussions in tonight's uh, program, uh, we are already getting studio guests coming back. So there is life after COVID after all. Um, From the Biz News team, look forward to being back in your company. Same time, same place tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.